CD5 The Duchess surfaced from her terror first. There had been knives swooping through the air and exploding doors, and now these women were defying her in her own dungeons. She couldn't be sure how she was supposed to react to the supernatural items, but she had very firm ideas about how she should tackle the last one. Her mouth opened like the gateway to a red hell. Gods! she yelled, and spotted the fool hovering near the door. Fool! Fetch the gods! They're busy, and we're just leaving, said Granny. Which one of you is the duke? Felmit stared pink-eyed up at her from his half-crouch in the corner. A thin dribble of saliva escaped from the corner of his mouth, and he giggled. Granny looked closer. In the centre of those streaming eyes, something else looked back at her. I'm going to give you no cause, she said quietly. But it would be better for you if you left this country. Abdicate, or whatever. In favour of whom? said the Duchess, icily. A witch? I won't, said the Duke. What did you say? The Duke pulled himself upright, brushed some of the dust off his clothes, and looked Granny full in the face. The coldness in the centre of his eyes was larger. I said, I won't, he said. Do you think a bit of simple conjuring would frighten me? I am the king by right of conquest, and you cannot change it. It's as simple as that, witch. He moved closer. Granny stared at him. She hadn't faced anything like this before. The man was clearly mad, but at the heart of his madness was a dreadful, cold sanity, a core of pure interstellar ice in the centre of the furnace. She'd thought him weak under a thin shell of strength, but it went a lot further than that. Somewhere deep inside his mind, somewhere beyond the event horizon of rationality, the sheer pressure of insanity had hammered his madness into something harder than diamond. If you defeat me by magic, magic will rule, said the Duke. And you can't do it. And any king raised with your help would be under your power. Hag-ridden, I might say. That which magic rules, magic destroys. It would destroy you too, you know it. Ha ha! Granny's knuckles whitened as he moved closer. You could strike me down, he said. And perhaps you could find someone to replace me. But he would have to be a fool indeed, because he would know he was under your evil eye. And if he mispleased you, why, his life would be instantly forfeit. You could protest all you wished, but he'd know he ruled with your permission, and that would make him no king at all. Is it not true? Granny looked away. The other witches hung back, ready to duck. I said, is it not true? Yes, said Granny. It is true. Yes. But there is one who could defeat you, said Granny slowly. The child? Let him come when he has grown. A young man with a sword seeking his destiny, the Duke sneered. Very romantic. But I have many years to prepare. Let him try. Beside him, King Varence's fist smashed through the air and quite failed to connect. The Duke leaned closer until his nose was an inch from Granny's face. Get back to your cauldrons, weird sisters, he said softly. Granny Weatherwax stalked through the passages of Loncra Castle like a large, angry bat, the Duke's laughter echoing around her head. You could give him boils or something, said Nanny Og. Hemorrhoids are good, that's allowed. 
It won't stop him ruling. It just means he'll have to rule standing up. Always good for a love, that. Or piles. Granny Weatherwax said nothing. If fury were heat, her hat would have caught fire. Mind you, that'd probably make him worse, said Nanny, running to keep up. Same with toothache. She gave a sideways glance at Granny's twitching features. You needn't fret, she said. They didn't do anything much, but thanks anyway. I ain't worried about you, Gytha Og, snapped Granny. I only came along because McGrath was fretting. What I say is, if a witch can't look after herself, she's got no business calling herself a witch. McGrath done well with the woodwork, I thought. Even in the grip of her sullen fury, Granny Weatherwax spared a nod. She's coming along, she said. She looked up and down the corridor and leaned closer to Nanny Og's ear. I ain't going to give him the pleasure of saying it, she said. But he's got us beaten. Well, I don't know, said Nanny. Our Jason and a few sharp lads could soon. You saw some of his guards. They aren't the old sort. These are a tough kind. We could give the boys just a bit of hell. It wouldn't work. People have to sort this thing out for themselves. If you say so, Esme, said Nanny meekly. I do. Magic's there to be ruled, not for ruling. Nanny nodded and then, remembering a promise, reached down and picked up a fragment of stone from the rubble on the tunnel floor. I thought you'd forgotten, said the ghost of the king by her ear. Further down the passage, the fool was capering after McGrath. Can I see you again? he said. Well, I don't know, said McGrath, her heart singing a smug song. How about tonight? said the fool. Oh, no, said McGrath. I'm very busy tonight. She had intended to curl up with a hot milk drink and Goody Wemper's notebooks on experimental astrology, but instinct told her that any suitor should have an uphill struggle put in front of him, just to make him keener. Tomorrow night, then? The fool persisted. I think I should be washing my hair. I could get Friday night free. We do a lot of work at night, you see. The afternoon, then? McGrath hesitated. Perhaps instinct had got it wrong. Well, she said. About two o'clock in the meadow by the pond, all right? Well, see you there, then, all right? Said the fool desperately. Fool! The Duchess's voice echoed along the passage and a look of terror crossed his face. I've got to go, he said. The meadow okay? I'll wear something so you recognise me, all right? All right, echoed McGrath, hypnotised by the sheer pressure of his persistence. She turned and ran after the other witches. There was pandemonium outside the castle. The crowd that had been there at Granny's arrival had grown considerably and had flowed in through the now unguarded gateway and lapped around the keep. Civil disobedience was new to Lancre, but its inhabitants had already mastered some of its more elementary manifestations, viz. the jerking of rakes and sickles in the air with a simple up-and-down motions, accompanied by grimaces and cries of grrrr. Although a few citizens, who hadn't quite grasped the idea, were waving flags and cheering. Advanced students were already eyeing the more combustible buildings inside the walls. Several sellers of hot meat pies and sausages in a bun had appeared from nowhere. They always do, everywhere. No one sees them arrive. The logical explanation is that the franchise includes the stall, the paper hat and a small gas-powered time machine. And we're doing a brisk trade. Pretty soon, someone was going to throw something. The three witches stood at the top of the steps that led to the keep's main door and surveyed the sea of faces. There's our Jason, said Nanny happily. And Wayne, and Darren, and Kev, and Trev, and Nev. I will remember their faces, said Lord Felmont, emerging between them and putting a hand on their shoulders. And do you see my archers on the walls? I see them said Granny grimly. Then smile and wave, said the Duke. 
so that the people may know that all is well. After all, have you not been to see me today on matters of state? He leaned closer to Granny. Yes, there are a hundred things you could do, he said, but the ending would always be the same. He drew back. I am not an unreasonable man, I hope, he added in cheerful tones. Perhaps, if you persuade the people to be calm, I may be prevailed upon to moderate my rule somewhat. I make no promises, of course. Granny said nothing. Smile and wave, commanded the Duke. Granny raised one hand in a vague motion and produced a brief rictus that had nothing whatsoever to do with humour. Then she scowled and nudged Nanny Og, who was waving and mugging like a maniac. No need to get carried away, she hissed. But there's our Reet and our Charlene and their babies, said Nanny. Cooey! Will you shut up, you daft old bism, snapped Granny, and pull yourself together. Jolly good, well done, said the Duke. He raised his hands, or at least his hand. The other still ached. He'd tried the grater again last night, but it hadn't worked. People of Lancre, he cried, do not be afeard. I am your friend. I will protect you from the witches. They have agreed to leave you in peace. Granny stared at him as he spoke. He's one of these maniac depressives, she said, up and down like a wasp name. Kill you one minute and ask you how you're feeling the next. She became aware that he was looking at her expectantly. What? I said, I now call upon the respected Granny Weatherwax to say a few words. <laughs> he said. You said that, did you? Yes. You've gone a long way too far, said Granny. I have, haven't I? The Duke giggled. Granny turned to the expectant crowd, which went silent. Go home, she said. There was a further long silence. Is that all? said the Duke. Yes. What about pledges of eternal allegiance? What about them? Gaither, will you stop waving at people? Sorry. And now we are going to go too said Granny. But we were all getting on so well, said the Duke. Come, Gaither, said Granny icily. And where's Magrat got to? Magrat looked up guiltily. She had been deep in conversation with the fool, although it was the kind of conversation where both parties spent a lot of time looking at their feet and picking at their fingernails. Ninety percent of true love is acute, ear-burning embarrassment. We're leaving, said Granny. Friday afternoon, remember? hissed the fool. Well, if I can, said Magrat. Nanny Og leered. And so Granny Weatherwax swept down the steps and through the crowds, with the other two running behind her. Several of the grinning guards caught her eye and wished they hadn't. But here and there, among the watching crowd, was a barely suppressed snigger. She hurtled through the gateway, across the drawbridge and through the town. Granny, walking fast, could beat most other people at a run. Behind them, the Duke, who had crested the latest manic peak on the switchback of his madness and was now coasting speedily towards the water splash of despair, laughed. <laughs> Granny didn't stop until she was outside the town and under the welcoming eaves of the forest, she turned off the road and flumped down on a log, her face in her hands. The other two approached her carefully. Magrat patted her on the back. Don't despair, she said. You handled it very well, we thought. I ain't despairing, I'm thinking, said Granny. Go away. Nanny Og raised her eyebrows at Magrat in a warning fashion. They backed off to a suitable distance, although, with Granny in her present mood, the next universe might not be far enough, and sat down on a moss-grown stone. Are you all right? 
said McGrath. They didn't do anything, did they? Never laid a finger on me, said Nanny. She sniffed. <laughs> They're not your real royalty, she added. Oh, King Grenweld, for one. He wouldn't have wasted time waving things around and menacing people. It'd be bang, needles right under the fingernails from the word go and no messing. None of this evil laughter stuff. He was a real king, very gracious. He was threatening to burn you. Oh, I wouldn't have stood for it. I see you've got a follower, said Nanny. Sorry, said McGrath. The young fella with the bells, said Nanny. And the face like a spaniel what's just been kicked. Oh, him. McGrath blushed hotly under her pale makeup. Really, he's just this man. He just follows me around. Can be difficult, can that? said Nanny sagely. Besides, he's so small, and he capers all over the place, said McGrath. Looked at him carefully, have you? said the old witch. Pardon? You haven't, have you? I thought not. He's a very clever man, that fool. He ought to have been one of them actor men. What do you mean? Next time you have a look at him like a witch, not like a woman, said Nanny, and gave McGrath a conspiratorial nudge. Good bit of work with the door back there, she added. Coming on well, you are. I hope you told him about Grebo. He said he'd let him out directly, Nanny. There was a snort from Granny Weatherwax. Did you hear the sniggering in the crowd? She said. Someone sniggered. Nanny Og sat down beside her. And a couple of them pointed, she said. I know. It's not to be born. McGrath sat down on the other end of the log. There's other witches, she said. There's lots of witches further up the ram tops. Maybe they can help. The other two looked at her in pained surprise. I don't think we need go that far, sniffed Granny. Asking for help. Very bad practice, nodded Nanny Og. But you asked a demon to help you, said McGrath. No, we didn't, said Granny. Right, we didn't. We ordered it to assist. Right. Granny Weatherwax stretched out her legs and looked at her boots. They were good strong boots with hobnails and crescent-shaped scads. You couldn't believe a cobbler had made them. Someone had laid down a sole and built up from there. I mean, there's that witch over scanned way she said. Sister, who's his, what's name? Her son went off to be a sailor. You know, Gytha. Her who sniffs and puts them anti-massacres on the backs of chairs as soon as you sit down. Broadly, said Nanny Og, sticks her little finger out when she drinks her tea and drops her H's all the time. Yes, well... I haven't hallowed myself to talk to her ever since that business with a gibbet, you recall? I dare say she'd love to come snooping around here, running her fingers over everything and sniffing, telling us how to do things. Oh, yes. Help. We'd all be in a fine to-do if we went around helping all the time. Yes, an overscanned way. The trees talk to you and walk around of night said Nanny, without even asking permission. Very poor organisation. Not really good organisation like we've got here, said McGrath. Granny stood up purposefully. I'm going home, she said. There are thousands of good reasons why magic doesn't rule the world. They're called witches and wizards, McGrath reflected as she followed the other two back to the road. It was probably some wonderful organisation on the part of nature to protect itself. It saw to it that everyone with any magical talent was about as ready to cooperate as a she-bear with toothache. 
So all that dangerous power was safety, dissipated as random bickering and rivalry. There were differences in style, of course. Wizards assassinated each other in drafty corridors. Witches just cut one another dead in the street. And they were all as self-centred as a spinning top. Even when they help other people, she thought, they're secretly doing it for themselves. Honestly, they're just like big children. Except for me, she thought smugly. She's very upset, isn't she? said McGrath to Nanny Og. Ah, well, said Nanny. There's the problem, you see. The more you get used to magic, the more you don't want to use it, the more it gets in your way. I expect when you were just starting out, you learned a few spells from Goody Wemper, may she rest in peace, and you used them all the time, didn't you? Well, yes, everyone does. Well-known fact, agreed Nanny. But when you get along in the craft, you learn that the hardest magic is the sort you don't use at all. Magrat considered the proposition cautiously. This isn't some kind of zen, is it? she said. Dunno, never seen one. When we were in the dungeons, Granny said something about trying the rocks. That sounded like pretty hard magic. Well, Goody wasn't much into rocks, said Nanny. It's not really hard. You just prod their memories, you know, of the old days when they were hot and runny. She hesitated, and her hand flew to her pocket. She gripped the lump of castle stone and relaxed. Thought I'd forgotten it for a minute there, she said, lifting it out. You can come out now. He was barely visible in the brightness of day, a mere shimmer in the air under the trees. King Varence blinked. He wasn't used to the daylight. Here's me, said Nanny. There's someone to see you. Granny turned slowly and squinted at the ghost. I saw you in the dungeon, didn't I? She said. Who are you? Varence. King of Lancre, said the ghost, and bowed. Do I have the honour of addressing Granny Weatherwax, doyen of witches? It has already been pointed out that just because Varence came from a long line of kings didn't mean that he was basically stupid, and a year without the distractions of the flesh had done wonders as well. Granny Weatherwax considered herself totally unsusceptible to buttering up, but the king was expertly applying the equivalent of the dairy surplus of quite a large country. Bowing was a particularly good touch. A muscle twitched at the corner of Granny's mouth. She gave a stiff little bow in return, but she wasn't quite sure what a doyen meant. I'm her, she conceded. You can get up now she added regally. King Varence remained kneeling about two inches above the actual ground. I crave a boon, he said urgently. Here, how did you get out of the castle? said Granny. The esteemed Nanny Og assisted me, said the king. I reasoned, if I am anchored to the stones of Lancre, then I can also go where the stones go. I'm afraid I indulged in a little trickery to arrange matters. Currently, I'm haunting her apron. Not the first, either, said Granny automatically. It's me. And I beg you, Granny Weatherwax, to restore my son to the throne. Restore? You know what I mean. He is in good health. Granny nodded. The last time we looked at him... He was eating an apple, she said. It is his destiny to be King of Lancre. Yes, well, destiny is tricky, you know, said Granny. You will not help? Granny looked wretched. It's meddling, you see, she said. It always goes wrong if you meddle in politics. Like once you start, you can't stop. Fundamental rule of magic is that. You can't go around messing with fundamental rules. You're not going to help? Well, naturally, one day, when your lad's a bit older. Where is he now? 
said the king coldly. The witches avoided one another's faces. We saw him safe out of the country, you see, said Granny awkwardly. Very good family, Nanny Og put in quickly. What kind of people, said the king, not commoners, I trust. Absolutely not, said Granny with considerable firmness, as a vision of Vitola floated across her imagination. Not common at all, very uncommon. Uh. Her eyes implored Magrat for help. They were thespians, said Magrat firmly, her voice radiating such approval that the king found himself nodding automatically. Oh, he said, good. Were they? whispered Nanny Og. They didn't look it. Don't show your ignorance, Gaither Og, sniffed Granny. She turned back to the ghost of the king. Sorry about that, your majesty. It's just her showing off. She doesn't even know where Thespia is. Wherever it is, I hope that they know how to school a man in the arts of war, said Varence. I know, Felmet. In ten years, he'll be dug in here like a toad in a stone. The king looked from witch to witch. What kind of kingdom will he have to come back to? I hear what the kingdom is becoming even now. Will you watch it change over the years, becoming shoddy and mean? The king's ghost faded. His voice hung in the air, faint as a breeze. Remember, good sisters, he said, the land and the king are one. And he vanished. The embarrassed silence was broken by Magrat blowing her nose. One what? said Nanny Og. We've got to do something, said Magrat, her voice choked with emotion. Rules or no rules? It's very vexing, said Granny quietly. Yes, but what are we going to do? She said. Reflect on things, said Granny. Think about it all. You've been thinking about it for a year, McGrath said. One what? Ah, oh, one what? said Nanny Og. It's no good just reacting, said Granny. We've got to... A cart came bouncing and rumbling along the track from Loncra. Granny ignored it. Give these things careful consideration. You don't know what to do, do you? said McGrath. Nonsense, I... There's a cart coming, Granny. Granny Weatherwax shrugged. What you youngsters don't realise, she began... Witches never bothered with elementary road safety. Such traffic as there was on the roads of Lancre either went around them, or, if this was not possible, waited until they moved out of the way. Granny Weatherwax had grown up knowing this for a fact. The only reason she didn't die knowing that it wasn't was that Magrat, with rather better reflexes, dragged her into the ditch. It was an interesting ditch. There were jiggling corkscrew things in it, which were direct descendants of things which had been in the primordial soup of creation. Anyone who thought that ditch water was dull could have spent an instructive half-hour in that ditch with a powerful microscope. It also had nettles in it, and now it had granny weatherwax. She struggled up through the weeds, incoherent with rage, and rose from the ditch like Venus Anadiomene only older and with more duckweed. She said, pointing a shaking finger at the disappearing cart. It was young Neshley from over in Capway, said Nanny Og from a nearby bush. His family were always a bit wild. Of course, his mother was a whipple. He ran us down, said Granny. You could have got out of the way, said McGrath. Get out of the way? said Granny. We're witches. People get out of our way. She squelched onto the track, her finger still pointing at the distant cart. By hokey, I'll make him wish he'd never been born. He was quite a big baby, I recall, said the bush. His mother had a terrible time. It's never happened to me before, ever said Granny, still twanging like a bowstring. I'll teach him to run us down as though, as though, as though we were ordinary people. He already knows, 
said Magrat. Just help me to get Nanny out of this bush, will you? I'll turn his... People haven't got any respect anymore, that's what it is, said Nanny, as Magrat helped her with the thorns. It's all due to the king being one, I expect. We're witches, screamed Granny, turning her face towards the sky and shaking her fists. Yes, yes, said Magrat. The harmonious balance of the universe and everything. I think Nanny's a bit tired. What have I been doing all this time? said Granny, with a rhetorical flourish that would have made even Vitola gasp. Not a lot, said Magrat. Laughed at, laughed at, on my own roads, in my own country, screamed Granny. That just about does it. I'm not taking ten more years of this. I'm not taking another day of it. The trees around her began to sway, and the dust from the road sprang up into writhing shapes that tried to swirl out of her way. Granny Weatherwax extended one long arm and at the end of it unfolded one long finger and from the tip of its curving nail there was a brief flare of octarine fire. Half a mile down the track, all four wheels fell off the cart at once. Lock up a witch, would he? Granny shouted at the trees. Nanny struggled to her feet. We'd better grab her, she whispered to Magrat. The two of them leapt at Granny and forced her arms down to her sides. Ah, bloody well show him what a witch could do, she yelled. Yes, yes, very good, very good, said Nanny. Only perhaps not just now, and not just like this, eh? Weird sisters indeed, Granny yelled. I'll make his... Hold her a minute, Magrat said Nanny Og and rolled up her sleeve. It can be like this with the highly trained ones, she added, and brought her palm round in a slap that lifted both witches off their feet. On such a flat, final note, the universe might have ended. At the conclusion of the breathless silence which followed, Granny Weatherwax said, Thank you. She adjusted her dress with some show of dignity and added, But I meant it. We'll meet tonight at the stone and do what must be done. <clears throat> she reset the pins in her hat and set off unsteadily in the direction of her cottage. Whatever happened to the rule about not meddling in politics, said Magrat, watching her retreating back. Nanny Og massaged some life back into her fingers. Bye, hokey. That woman's got a jaw like an anvil, she said. What was that? I said, what about this rule about not meddling, said Magrat. Ah, said Nanny. She took the girl's arm. The thing is, she explained, as you progress in the craft, you'll learn there is another rule. Esme's obeyed it all her life. And what's that? When you break rules, break them good and hard said Nanny, and grinned a set of gums that were more menacing than teeth. The Duke smiled out over the forest. It works, he said. The people mutter against the witches. How do you do it, fool? Jokes, Uncle, and gossip. People are halfway ready to believe it anyway. Everyone respects the witches. The point is that no one actually likes them very much. Friday afternoon, he thought. I'll have to get some flowers and my best suit, the one with the silver bells. Oh, gosh. This is very pleasing. If it goes on like this, fool, you shall have a knighthood. This was number 302, and the fool knew better than to let a feed line go hungry. Marion, uncle, he said wearily, ignoring the spasm of pain that crawled across the duke's face. If I had a knighthood, knighthood, why, it would keep my ears warm and bed, if faith. If many a knight is a fool, why should a... Yes, yes, all right, snapped Lord Felmet. In fact, he was feeling much better already. His porridge hadn't been oversalted this evening, and there was a decently empty feel about the castle. There were no more voices on the cusp of hearing. He sat down on the throne, 
It felt really comfortable for the first time. The Duchess sat beside him, her chin on her hand, watching the fool intently. This bothered him. He thought he knew where he stood with the Duke. It was just a matter of hanging on until the madness curved back to the cheerful stage, but the Duchess genuinely frightened him. It seems that words are extremely powerful, she said. Indeed, lady. You must have made a lengthy study. The fool nodded. The power of words had sustained him through the hell of the guild. Wizards and witches used words as if they were tools to get things done, but the fool reckoned that words were things in their own right. Words can change the world, he said. Her eyes narrowed. So you've said before, I remain unconvinced. Strong men change the world, she said. Strong men and their deeds. Words are just like marzipan on a cake. Of course you think words are important. You're weak. You have nothing else. Your ladyship is wrong. The Duchess's fat hand drummed impatiently on the arm of her throne. You had better, she said, be able to substantiate that comment. Lady, the Duke wishes to chop down the forests. Is this not so? The trees talk about me, whispered Lord Felmet. I hear them whisper when I go riding. They tell lies about me. The Duchess and the Fool exchanged glances. But, the Fool continued, this policy has met with fanatical opposition. What? People don't like it. The Duchess exploded. What does that matter? She roared. We rule. They will do what we say, or they will be piteously executed. The fool bobbed and capered and waved his hands in a conciliatory fashion. But, my love, we will run out of people, murmured the duke. No need, no need, said the fool desperately. You don't have to do that at all. What you do is, you... He paused for a moment, his lips moving quickly. You embark upon a far-reaching and ambitious plan to expand the agricultural industry provide long-term employment in the sawmills, open new land for development, and reduce the scope for banditry. This time the Duke looked baffled. How will I do that? He said. Chop down the forests. But you said... Shut up, Felmont! said the Duchess. She subjected the fool to another long, thoughtful stare. Exactly how? She said eventually. Does one go about knocking over the houses of people one does not like? Urban clearance, said the fool. I was thinking of burning them down. Hygienic urban clearance, the fool added promptly. And sowing the ground with salt. Mary, I suspect that is hygienic urban clearance and a program of environmental improvements. It might be a good idea to plant a few trees as well. No more trees, shouted Felmet. Oh, it's all right, they won't survive. The important thing is to have planted them. But I also want us to raise taxes, said the Duchess. Why, Nuncle? And I'm not your Nuncle. Nant, said the fool. No. Why, pretty, you need to finance your ambitious program for the country. Sorry, said the Duke, who was getting lost again. He means chopping down trees costs money, said the Duchess. She smiled at the fool. It was the first time he had ever seen her look at him as if he were other than a disgusting little cockroach. There was still a large element of cockroach in her glance, but it said, Good little cockroach, you have learned a trick. Intriguing, she said. But can your words change the past? The fool considered this. More easily, I think, he said, because the past is what people remember, and memories are words. 
Who knows how a king behaved a thousand years ago? There's only recollection and stories. And plays, of course. Ah, uh, yes, I saw a play once, said Felmut. Bunch of funny fellows in tights, a lot of shouting. The people liked it. You tell me history is what people are told, said the Duchess. The fool looked around the throne room and found King Grunbury the Good, 906 to 967. Was he? he said, pointing. Who knows now? What was he good at? But he will be Grunbury the Good until the end of the world. The Duke was leaning forward in his throne, his eyes gleaming. I want to be a good ruler, he said. I want people to like me. I would like people to remember me fondly. Let us assume, said the Duchess, that there were other matters subject to controversy, matters of historical record that had been clouded. I didn't do it, you know, said the Duke quickly. He slipped and fell. That was it. Slipped and fell. I wasn't even there. He attacked me. It was self-defence. Th that's it. He slipped and fell on his own dagger in self-defence. His voice fell to a mumble. I have no recollection of it at this time, he murmured. He rubbed his dagger hand, although the word was becoming inappropriate. Be quiet, husband, snapped the Duchess. I know you didn't do it. I wasn't there with you, you may recall. It was I who didn't hand you the dagger. The Duke shuddered again. And now, fool, said Lady Felmet, I was saying, I believe, that perhaps there are matters that should be properly recorded. Mary. That you were not there at the time, said the fool brightly. It is true that words have power, and one of the things they are able to do is get out of someone's mouth before the speaker has the chance to stop them. If words were sweet little lambs, then the fool watched them bound cheerfully away into the flamethrower of the Duchess's glare. Not where, she said. Anywhere, said the fool hastily. Stupid man, everyone is somewhere. I mean, you were everywhere but at the top of the stairs, said the fool. Which stairs? Any stairs, said the fool, who was beginning to sweat. I distinctly remember not seeing you. The Duchess eyed him for a while. So long as you remember it, she said. The Duchess rubbed her chin which made an audible rasping noise. Reality is only weak words, you say. Therefore, words are reality. But how can words become history? It was a very good play, the play that I saw, said Felmet dreamily. There were fights, and no one really died. Some very good speeches, I thought. There was another sandpapery sound from the Duchess. Fool, she said. Lady? Can you write a play? A play that will go around the world? A play that will be remembered long after rumour has died? No, lady. It is a special talent. But can you find someone who has it? There are such people, lady. Find one, murmured the Duke. Find the best, find the best, that truth will out. Find one. The storm was resting. It didn't want to be, but it was. It had spent a fortnight understudying a famous anticyclone over the Circle Sea, turning up every day, hanging around in the cold front, grateful for a chance to uproot the occasional tree or whirl a farmhouse to any available emerald city of its choice, but the big break in the weather had never come. It consoled itself with the thought that even the really great storms of the past, the Great Gale of 1789, for example, or Hurricane Zelda and her amazing raining frogs, had gone through this sort of thing at some stage in their career. It was just part of the great tradition of the weather. Besides, 
It had had a good stretch in the equivalent of pantomime down on the plains, bringing seasonal snow and terminal frostbite to millions. It just had to be philosophical about being back up here now with nothing much to do except wave the heather about. If weather was people, this storm would be filling in time wearing a cardboard hat and a hamburger hell. Currently, it was observing three figures moving slowly over the moor, converging with some determination on a bear patch where the standing stone stood, or usually stood, though just at the moment it wasn't visible. It recognised them as old friends and connoisseurs and conjured up a brief, unseasonal roll of thunder as a form of greeting. This was totally ignored. The bloody stone's gone, said Granny Weatherwax, however many there is of it. Her face was pale. It might also have been drawn. If so, then it was by a very neurotic artist. She looked as though she meant business, bad business. Like the farmer, Grat, she added automatically. I dare say we'll all feel better for a cup of tea, said Nanny Og, mouthing the words like a mantra. She fumbled in the recesses of her shawl. With something in it, she added, producing a small bottle of Applejack. Alcohol is a deceiver and tarnishes the soul, said McGrath virtuously. I never touch the stuff, said Granny Weatherwax. We should keep a clear head, Gaitha. Just a drop in your tea isn't drinking, said Nanny. It's medicine. It's a chilly old wind up here, sisters. Very well, said Granny, but just a drop. They drank in silence. Eventually, Granny said, Well, McGrath, you know all about this coven business. We might as well do it right. What do we do next? McGrath hesitated. She wasn't up to suggesting dancing naked. There's a song, she said, in praise of the full moon. It ain't full, Granny pointed out. It's, what's name? Bulging. Gibbous, said Nanny obligingly. I think it's in praise of full moons in general, McGrath hazarded. And then we have to raise our consciousness. It really ought to be full moon for that, I'm afraid. Moons are very important. Granny gave her a long, calculating look. That's modern witchcraft for you, is it? She said. It's part of it, Granny. There's a lot more. Granny Weatherwax sighed. Each to her own, I suppose. I'm blowed if I'll let a ball of shiny rock tell me what to do. Yes, bugger all that, said Nanny. Let's curse somebody. The fool crept cautiously along the nighttime corridors. He wasn't taking any chances either. McGrath had given him a graphic account of Grebo's general disposition, and the fool had borrowed a couple of gloves and a sort of metal wimple from the castle's store of hereditary chainmail. He reached the lumber room, lifted the latch cautiously, pushed the door and then flung himself against the wall. The corridor became slightly darker as the more intense darkness inside the room spilled out and mingled with the rather lighter darkness already there. Apart from that, nothing. The number of spitting, enraged balls of murderous fur pouring out through the door was zero. The fool relaxed and slipped inside. Grebo dropped on his head. It had been a long day. The room did not offer the kind of full life that Grebo had come to expect and demand. The only point of interest had been the discovery around mid-morning of a colony of mice who had spent generations eating their way through a priceless tapestry history of Lancre and had just got as far as King Murren, 709-745, who met a terrible fate, when they did too. King Murren's fate involved a red-hot poker, a privy, ten pounds of live eels, a three-mile stretch of frozen river, a butt of wine, a couple of tulip bulbs, a number of poisoned eardrops, an oyster, and a large man with a mallet. King Murren didn't make friends easily. Grebo had sharpened his claws on a bust of Lancre's only royal vampire, Queen Grimnir, the Impaler. 1514 to 1553. 1553 to 1557. 1557 to 1562, 1562 
1567 and 1568 to 1573. He had performed his morning ablutions on a portrait of an unknown monarch, which was beginning to dissolve. Now he was bored and also angry. He raked his claws across the place where the fool's ears should have been and was rewarded with nothing more than a metallic scraping noise. Who's a good boy then? said the fool. Was a was a whoosh. This intrigued Grebo. The only other person who had ever spoken to him like this was Nanny Og. Everyone else addressed him as, Yeah, get out of it, you bastard. He leaned down very carefully, intrigued by the new experience. From the fool's point of view, an upside-down cat face lowered itself slowly into his field of vision, wearing an expression of evil-eyed interest. Does it want to come home, then? said the fool hopefully. Look, Mr. Door is open. Grebo increased his grip. He had found a friend. The fool shrugged very carefully, turned and walked back into the passage. He made his way down through the hall, out into the courtyard, around the side of the guardroom and out through the main gate, nodding carefully to the guards. Man just went past with a cat on his head, one of them remarked after a minute or two's reflection. See who it was? The fool, I think. There was a thoughtful pause. The second guard shifted his grip on his habit. It's a rotten job, he said, but I suppose someone's got to do it. We ain't going to curse anyone said Granny firmly. It hardly ever works if they don't know you've done it. What you do is, you send him a doll of himself with pins in. No, Gaither. All you have to do is get hold of some of his toenails, Nanny persisted enthusiastically. No. Or some of his hair or anything. I've got some pins. No. Cursing people is morally unsound and extremely bad for your karma said McGrath. Well, I'm going to curse him anyway, said Nanny. Under my breath, like, I could have caught my death in that dungeon for all he cared. We ain't going to curse him, said Granny. We're going to replace him. What did you do with the old king? I left the rock on the kitchen table, said Nanny. I couldn't stand it any more. I don't see why, said McGrath. He seemed very pleasant, for a ghost. Oh, he was all right. It was the others, said Nanny. Others? Pray, carry a stone out of the palace so's I can haunt it, good mother, he says, says Nanny Og. It's bloody boring in here, Mistress Og, excuse my clatchian. He says, so of course I did. I reckon they were all listening. Oh, yes, they all thinks, all aboard, time for a bit of a holiday. I've nothing against ghosts, especially royal ghosts, she added loyally. But my cottage isn't the place for them. I mean, there's some woman in a chariot yelling her head off in the washroom, I ask you. And there's a couple of little kiddies in the pantry and men without heads all over the place and someone screaming under the sink and there's this little hairy man wandering around lost and everything. It's not right. Just so long as he's not here, said Granny. We don't want any men around. He's a ghost, not a man, said McGrath. We don't have to go into details, Granny said icily. But you can't put the old king back on the throne, said McGrath. Ghosts can't rule. You'd never get the ground to stay on. It'd drop through. We're going to replace him with his son, said Granny. Proper succession. Oh, we've been through all that, said Nanny dismissively. In about fifteen years' time, perhaps, but tonight said Granny. A child on the throne? He wouldn't last five minutes. Not a child, said Granny quietly. A grown man. Remember Alice de Murridge? There was silence. Then Nanny Og sat back. Bloody hell, 
she whispered. You ain't gonna try that, are you? I mean to have a go. Bloody hell, said Nanny again, very quietly, and added, You've been thinking about this, have you? Yes. See here, Esme, I mean, Black Alice was one of the best. I mean, you're very good at, well, headology and thinking and that. I mean, Black Alice, well, she just upped and went at it. You saying I couldn't do it, are you? Excuse me, said McGrath. No, no, of course not, said Nanny, ignoring her. Right. Only, well, she was a, you know, a hoyden of witches, like the king said. Doyen, said Granny, who had looked it up. Not hoyden. Excuse me, said McGrath, louder this time. Who was Black Alice? And, she added quickly, none of this exchanging meaningful glances and talking over my head. There's three witches in this coven, remember? She was before your time, said Nanny Og. Before mine, really. She lived over Scund way. Very powerful witch. If you listen to rumour, said Granny. She turned a pumpkin into a royal coach once, said Nanny. Showy, said Granny Weatherwax. That's no help to anyone, turning up at a ball smelling like a pie, and that business with the glass slipper, dangerous to my mind. But the biggest thing she ever did, said Nanny, ignoring the interruption, was to send a whole palace to sleep for a hundred years until... She hesitated. Can't remember. Was the rose bushes involved, or was it spinning wheels in that one? I think some princess had to finger... No, there was a prince, that was it. Finger a prince? said McGrath uneasily. No, he had to kiss her. Very romantic, Black Alice was. There was always a bit of romance in her spells. She liked nothing better than girl meets frog. Why did they call her Black Alice? Fingernails, said Granny. And teeth, said Nanny Og. She had a sweet tooth, lived in a real gingerbread cottage. Couple of kids shoved her in her own oven at the end. Shocking. And you're going to send the castle to sleep, said McGrath. She never sent the castle to sleep, said Granny. That's just an old wives' tale, she added, glaring at Nanny. She just stirred up time a little. It's not as hard as people think. Everyone does it all the time. It's like rubber is time. You can stretch it to suit yourself. McGrath was about to say... That's not right. Time is time. Every second lasts a second. That's what it's for. That's its job. Then she recalled weeks that had flown past and afternoons that had lasted forever. Some minutes had lasted hours. Some hours had gone past so quickly she hadn't been aware they'd gone past at all. But that's just people's perception, she said, isn't it? Oh, yes, said Granny. Of course it is. It all is. What difference does that make? A hundred years would be over-egging it, mind, said Nanny. I reckon fifteen would be a nice round number, said Granny. That means the lad will be eighteen at the finish. We just do the spell, go and fetch him. He can manifest his destiny and everything will be nice and neat. McGrath didn't comment on this because it had occurred to her that destinies sounded easy enough when you talked about them, but were never very bankable where real human beings were concerned. But Nanny Og sat back and tipped another generous measure of apple brandy in her tea. Could work out nice, she said. A bit of peace and quiet for fifteen years. If I recall the spell, after you say it, you have to fly around the castle before cockcrow. I wasn't thinking about that, said Granny. It wouldn't be right. Felmet would still be king all that time. The kingdom would still get sick. No, what I was thinking of doing was moving the whole kingdom. She beamed at them. The whole of Lancre, said Nanny. Yes. 
15 years into the future? Yes. Nanny looked at Granny's broomstick. It was a well-made thing, built to last, apart from the occasional starting problem, but there were limits. You'll never do it, she said. Not around the whole kingdom and that. That's all the way up to Powder Knife and down to Drumlin's Fell. You just couldn't carry enough magic. I've thought of that, said Granny. She beamed again. It was terrifying. She explained the plan. It was dreadful. A minute later, the moor was deserted as the witches hurried to their tasks. It was silent for a while, apart from the squeak of bats and the occasional rustle of the wind in the heather. Then there was a bubbling from the nearby peat bog. Very slowly, crowned with a thicket of sphagnum moss, the standing stone surfaced and peered around the landscape with an air of deep distrust. Grebo was really enjoying this. At first he thought his new friend was taking him to Magrat's cottage, but for some reason he'd wandered off the path in the dark and was taking a stroll in the forest. In one of the more interesting bits, Grebo had always felt. It was a hummocky area, rich in hidden potholes and small, intense swamps, full of mist, even in fine weather. Grebo often came up here on the off chance that a wolf was lying up for the day. I thought cats could find their own way home, the fool muttered. He cursed himself under his breath. It would have been easy to take this wretched creature back to Nanny Og's house, which was only a few streets away, almost in the shadow of the castle. But then he'd had the idea of delivering it to Magrat. It would impress her, he thought. Witches were very keen on cats. And then she'd be bound to ask him in for a cup of tea or something. He put his foot in another water-filled hole. Something wriggled underneath it. The fool groaned and stepped back onto a tumescent mushroom. Look, cat, he said. You've got to come down, right? And then you can find your way home and I'll follow you. Cats are good at seeing in the dark and finding their own way home, he added hopefully. He reached up. Rebo sank his claws into his arm as a friendly warning and found, to his surprise, that this had no effect on chainmail. There's a good cat, said the fool, and lowered him to the ground. Go on, find your way home. Any home will do. Grebo's grin gradually faded until there was nothing left but the cat. This was nearly as spooky as the opposite way round. He stretched and yawned to hide his embarrassment. Being called a good cat in the middle of one of his favourite stalking grounds wasn't going to do anything for his proud credibility. He disappeared into the undergrowth. The fool peered into the gloom. It dawned on him that while he liked forests, he liked them at one remove, as it were. It was nice to know that they were there, but the forests of the mind were not quite the same as real forests that, for example, you got lost in. They had more mighty oaks and fewer brambles. They also tended to be viewed in daylight, and the trees didn't have malevolent faces and long scratchy branches. The trees of the imagination were proud giants of the forest. Most of the trees here appeared to be vegetable gnomes, mere trellises for fungi and ivy. The fool was vaguely aware that you could tell which direction the hub lay by seeing which side of the trees the moss grew on. A quick inspection of the nearby trunks indicated that, in defiance of all normal geography, the hub lay everywhere. Grebo had vanished. The fool sighed, removed his chainmail protection, and tinkled gently through the night in search of high ground. High ground seemed a good idea. The ground he was on at the moment appeared to be trembling. He wasn't sure it should do that. Magrat hovered on her broomstick several hundred feet above the turnwise borders of Lancre, looking down on a sea mist through which an occasional treetop poked like a seaweed-covered rock at high tide. 
a bulging moon floated above her, probably gibbous again. Even a decent thin crescent would have been better, she felt, more appropriate. She shivered and wondered where Granny Weatherwax was at this moment. The old witch's broomstick was known and feared throughout the skies of Lancre. Granny had been introduced to flying quite late in life, and after some initial suspicion, had taken to it like a blue bottle to an ancient fish head. A problem, however, was that Granny saw every flight simply as a straight line from A to B, and was unable to get alongside the idea that other users of the air might have any rights whatsoever. The flight migration patterns of an entire continent had been changed because of that simple fact. High-speed evolution among local birds had developed a generation that flew on their backs, so that they could keep a watchful eye on the skies. Granny's implicit belief that everything should get out of her way extended to other witches, very tall trees, and, on occasion, mountains. Granny had also browbeaten the dwarfs who lived under the mountains and in fear of their lives into speeding the thing up. Many an egg had been laid in mid-air by unsuspecting fowls who had suddenly glimpsed Granny bearing down on them, scowling over the top of the broomstick. Oh dear, thought Magrat. I hope she hasn't happened to someone. A midnight breeze turned her gently around in the air like an unsupported weathercock. She shivered and squinted at the moonlit mountains, the high ram tops whose freezing crags and ice-green chasms acknowledged no king or cartographer. Only on the Rimwood side was Lancre open to the world. The rest of its borders looked as jagged as a wolf's mouth and far more impassable. From up here, it was possible to see the whole kingdom. There was a ripping noise in the sky above her, a blast of wind that spun her around again, and a Doppler distorted cry of, Stop dreaming, girl! She gripped the bristles with her knees and urged the stick upwards. It took several minutes to catch up with Granny, who was lying almost full length along her broomstick to reduce wind resistance. Dark treetops roared far below them as McGrath came alongside. Granny turned to her, holding her hat on with one hand. Not before time, she snapped. I don't reckon this one's got more than a few minutes flight left. Come on, get a move on. She reached out a hand. So did McGrath. Unsteadily, the broomsticks bucking and dipping in one another's slipstreams, they touched fingertips. McGrath's arm tingled as the power flowed up it. Possibly the first attempt at the in-flight refueling of a broomstick. Granny's broomstick jerked forwards. Leave me a bit, shouted McGrath. I've got to get down. Shouldn't be difficult screamed Granny, above the noise of the wind. I mean get down safely. You're a witch, ain't you? By the way, did you bring the cocoa? I'm freezing up here. McGrath nodded desperately, and with her spare hand, passed up a straw bag. Right, said Granny. Well done. See you at Lancre Bridge. She uncurled her fingers. End of CD 5